We're looking at the book of Zechariah, and in Zechariah there's a flying scroll, and it has two things written on it. It says, thou shalt not steal, and it has, on the other side, it has, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. So it's got one of the commandments from each of the tables, right? Um, this is called a synecdoche, uh, which means when you use the part of something to illustrate the whole. So what it's saying is the whole Ten Commandments are in this flying scroll. Um, I think that's good enough, guys. Uh, we didn't get the sound, but that you got kind of the idea. And so in San Francisco, there are people just walking into stores and just stealing, just willy-nilly and no one's stopping them. It's um, a very grim picture there. And that's not happening just in San Francisco, but it is happening there. And so with that being said, we will go to my slides next. And I just want to greet all of you. Happy Sabbath. That's great to see your faces. Last week, I was in Colorado at a gospel conference. Several of us were away there. And probably what struck out to me most was a meeting that I had with um, a couple of ladies that came to the Eden Valley campus. This was at one of our self-supporting institutes. And I was there studying my Sabbath school. I happened to be on my knees. I don't always study on my knees, but in this case I was. And this is a place where nobody locks doors. It's a self-supporting place. Everything's open. And so these two ladies walk in and uh, they were looking for somebody in particular at the uh, facility there. And I told them how to get a hold of him and so forth. But I had a little time to spend with them. And um, they were from the Denver area. Were not Seventh-day Adventists. Possibly were not Christians at all. And they had had one contact with one of the people from Eden Valley at a rock, at a, it, was, it was a rock climbing wall. <clears throat> And from that one contact, they drove an hour to see this guy and to see this facility. And they were planning to come back. So that's the kind of impact that I'd like to have on people in my daily intercourse. How about you? So that was very impressive. But I think if the Lord sent me, I just had the distinct impression that that was the reason the Lord took me all the way to Colorado uh, was to meet those two ladies. And I handed them a book um, with some gospel truths in it. So anyway... Just a little story as we're still looking for my slides to appear. Uh, okay, they're behind me there, but they're not over here. All right, thank you. Well, again, we welcome you. Some upcoming events that I wanted to share with you. We continue in this book of Zechariah the next couple weeks. The four chariots of Zechariah and Christ as priest and king. So we hope you'll come back and share those <clears throat> uh, Bible uh, moments with us. And then 9-11, we're still telling you about that. We have a first responder day. We can't use the word patriot because it would probably get deleted from <clears throat> various social media sites. So we're going to call it first responder day which is the same thing. And we're honoring our police, our firemen, and our first responders. Um, our sheriff, county sheriff, is excited to come. There'll be someone here from the police department, Battle Creek also. Uh, Chief Blocker cannot, but he'll have somebody here. 
Fire chief's excited, so we're excited. Uh, and again, we have um, Rear Admiral Bigger, who is a Seventh-day Adventist, teaches in Walla Walla College. He'll be here sharing. He actually was at the Pentagon when the plane hit the Pentagon, and then he was reassigned to the Twin Towers. Uh, so he has a unique perspective on both sites. So we're excited to, uh, to have him and to have you. So plan to come and plan to invite a friend. That service will be a little bit different um, as we have all of our community, and it will start at 11 o'clock, but much more on that as we continue. Um, September 18, I just um, confirmed this with Alicia Lozano from Changing People's Lives Ministry. How many of you remember Changing People's Lives? They're going to North Korea. Remember when they came? Yeah, in fact, one of our Sabbath school classes um, did something special and raised some money and sent it off to his ministry. <clears throat> that was really neat. He told me about that also. But they will be coming back, sharing what they're doing in Cuba, in North Korea, and other communist areas to share the gospel. So that'll be super exciting. You won't want to miss it. And then Tony Moore will be sharing the 24th through the 29th. He's going to be sharing his archaeological series, so you won't want to miss that either. It's tremendous. One of the best... Um, attendance we've had on anything like that, according to some of our members here. And so uh, look forward for a repeat on that. It's been five or six years, so you, you, you won't want to miss it. There'll be some new material there also. And of course, all this leading up to our evangelistic series, October 1 with Paul Punch. So put it on your calendar. It'll be five days a week for three weeks. So it'll be kind of intense, but it's fairly short. So uh, we hope you will be able to come to that. All right. Some folk have asked me if I would say a little about the vaccine, and that's dangerous water to step into. But I will say this um, about the vaccine and about it being forced upon people. <clears throat> you may not be aware of it, but back at the turn of the century, there was an effort to have a mandated vaccine across, well, the world, but primarily England. And some of our pioneers wrote about it. So I just have a few slides on this um, to share with you. Uh, before I say any of this, I will say what I always say is the best defense for you and I is not the vaccine. The best defense is our immune system. Amen. God has given us a health message, nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air, rest, and trust in God. Those are the things that we really need to be practicing more than ever before. But what about the vaccine? Should it be forced? And are people a danger to society for not taking the vaccine? These are interesting questions and questions that are looming large at this time. Well, interesting what E.J. Wagner said back in 1902. The Church Times was a publication then commenting on the failure of the proposal in Parliament to make vaccination universally compulsory, says, if there is anything in vaccination statistics, now can statistics be skewed a little bit one way or another? Yeah, so take it as it is. But listen to this next one. Or if it is believed to be a safeguard. Whoa, who is believing it to be a safeguard, right? 
against the disease of smallpox. That's what they, what they were fighting in their, in their day. It is absurd to allow the conscientious objector to roam at large, this publication says. He is as great a danger to the community as a mad dog. Hmm. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? This is what was going on in 1902. And you hear things similar to that today, I hate to say. By the way, if you love the vaccine, great. If you hate the vaccine, great. I'm not going there. (laughs) This is about mandating the vaccine, okay? Without expressing any opinion as to the value of vaccination, Wagner continues, it seems evident that such language breathes the very spirit of the Roman Catholic Inquisition. And it does. Think about it, because what do you do with a mad dog that's roaming the streets? Either put him in a cage or worse. The next step would be to cage the conscientious dissenter from the established church. Just one more slide on this. Two more. One beyond this. And a question arises here. Very interesting question. If vaccination be indeed a safeguard against smallpox, he said he wasn't going to comment about vaccination, but now he kind of is. And a question arises here. If vaccination be indeed a safeguard against anything, smallpox in this case, how can a conscientious objector be as dangerous as a mad dog? What harm could he do in a community of vaccinated persons? Oh, let your pure hearts and minds be stirred today to apply what the Word of God says. Amen? A study on the book of Zechariah, we continue. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, primarily verses 6 through 11, Zechariah's one world order. And I'm glad you came today because this is a super important and relevant topic that we look at. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word again now, we ask your spirit to be our teacher. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Teach, for your servants are listening. Give us clarity of mind. Beat back the distractions and the tiredness of the day that we might hear and apply your word to our hearts this day, because we know that as your word goes forth from your mouth, it will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. We thank you and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Zechariah chapter 5. I hope you're there. If you're not, the easiest way to find it is go to Matthew and go back through Malachi, and then you'll be in Zechariah. Come out is the last message of mercy. Revelation 14. And Revelation 18. We looked at verse 1. We'll go just review a little bit of that because they kind of do go together. We saw this flying scroll and we identified this flying scroll as the Word of God from Jeremiah and other texts, but then more succinctly, the Ten Commandments. It's flying in the air. And God will have a people that will keep the faith of Jesus and keep the commandments. Amen? That's what he's developing among this world now. He's got people in this church. He's got many in other churches 
that he is bringing in. That's why the call is come out of Babylon. This flying scroll was the exact size of the holy place of the tabernacle. We looked at that. We looked at some of the articles in the holy place. We realized that chapter, just two chapters before, was a prophecy on the lampstand. So it fit perfectly. Also, we saw that this is the size of the temple outer court where the law was read. And so these two things help us to have more understanding of this flying billboard, right? This big scroll, 30 by 15 feet. And it was a curse, as it was read in our scripture today, but it was only a curse to the lawbreakers. Obviously, the law is not a curse to those who keep the law, but only to the lawbreakers. We saw that there was, and I mentioned this from the floor here, that there was one commandment from each of the tables from the first four commandments and one from the last six, which indicating it was illustrating the whole Ten Commandments. And so we are judged according to it not according to any other false standard that may be out there. There's all kinds of standards of morality, right? You saw what was happening in San Francisco. If you call that morality, um, you know, that's, that's what's going on. But this is what is going to be the judge, right? According to it, not according to our ideas. There, of course, is <clears throat> another standard of morality out there. We'll get to that. But Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Don't you see some of that going on in the world today? And put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that last part, I did a little study on that. I wasn't sure about that, but I believe what what I got out of that was it was saying uh, when we say sin is sweet and holiness is bitter. Oh, that's exactly the opposite. The Proverbs tell us the way of the transgressor is hard. But woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. And we see it in our world today. Of course, there is another standard out there. There's another Ten Commandments, right? The Catechism gives us another Ten Commandments. The first one starts out good. Second one, not so good. It's about idols, right? So it's hard to have idols all over your church and have Ten Commandments which say don't have idols. So we'll just take that one out. <clears throat> well, no one's going to buy the fact that there are only nine commandments. So they split the tenth one into two. So this is another standard, but it's not God's standard. God has the Ten Commandments that are the standard of Christian living. We can't keep those commandments, but through His grace... And he writes them on our hearts as the new covenant shares with us. Going on on this first vision in chapter 5, we see that this this great billboard, uh, which is the Ten Ten Commandments, goes forth. And now we're talking in the phase of judgment, of course. It is from God. It enters the house. It remains in the house. And it consumes the house. This is all from verse 4 of chapter 5. And wickedness, think about it, must be obliterated. And oh, how painful it's got to be to the heart of God, right? He doesn't want to see anybody perish, right? He wants to see, he's wishing that all would be saved. 
But unfortunately, all would not be saved. And so the very sword of the wicked pierces their own heart. That's what Psalm 37:15 says. And oh, how this must pain the heart of God, just as it pains parents as we see our kids not walking in the right direction, right? That is difficult. Uh, but there's still hope. Um, I will contend with he that contends with thee, and I will save thy children many other promises too. But we do know that wickedness must finally be dealt the death blow, right? How many of you want to go on with the world like we have now? I don't think so, right? God's plan is complete restoration. When the last decision has been made, when all have taken sides either for Christ and the commandments or for the great apostate, God will arise in his power and the mouths of those who have blasphemed against him will be stopped forever forever stopped. Every opposing power will receive its punishment. And so God will have a clean universe where sin is no more. The great controversy will be ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of a limitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare what? That God is love, right? There won't be any, well, boy, I wonder why he judged that way. No way. No, everything will be answered and God will be seen for who he really is. God is love. This statement, sin and sinners will be no more. This is not an arbitrary act on the part of God. The rejectors of his mercy reap what they have sown. God is a fountain of life. And when one chooses the service of sin, he separates from God and thus cuts himself off from what? From life. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son has not life. It's really quite simple. But think about this. Why should anybody have to go through that? Because Christ has already done it for you. Christ felt as sinners will feel when the vials of God's wrath shall be poured upon them. Christ tasted death, Hebrews 2, 9, for how many? For every man. Christ tasted death for every man. And that was the second death. That was this. Oh, that all would accept that great sacrifice. Black despair, like the pall of death, will gather about their guilty souls, and they will realize to the fullest extent the sinfulness of sin. God would rather teach us now about sin and take it out of our lives. Amen? Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. Salvation has been purchased for them by the suffering and death of the Son of God. It might be theirs if they would accept it willingly, gladly. But none are compelled to yield obedience to the law of God. If they refuse the heavenly benefit and choose the deceitfulness of sin, they have their choice. So God has chosen you. What will you do with his choice of you? At the end and at the end receive their wages, which is the wrath of God and eternal death. They will be forever separated from the presence of Jesus, 
whose sacrifice they have despised. Do you love your Lord today? Do you love his sacrifice? That's what he's calling us to do, to love him and keep his commandments through his power, through the faith of Jesus. God will have a kingdom where joy reigns. Amen? Don't you long for that place? No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more death. That's what God is preparing for us who love him. He has already bore the curse with the mighty argument of the cross. Christ silences the bold accuser. He bore the curse on that cross of Calvary. And so the law shows us again in review. We looked at this two weeks ago in some depth. The law shows us sin, right? It's like a mirror. It, you know, it shows us what we look like. It can't change what we look like. It just shows us that we may run to Christ, not to condemn us. It may condemn us, but his purpose is that we run to Christ and receive Christ's righteousness. Then the law can witness to that. Romans 3, 19 through 22. All right, so this is our message for the day, however. That was review verses 5 and 6. Speaks of a measuring basket, or your Bible might say ephah. That's how you pronounce it. So we'll look there again. Then the angel, I've got the King James here, that talked with me, went forth and said unto me, lift up now thine eyes and see what it is that goes forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah or a measuring basket that goes forth. He said, moreover, this is their resemblance throughout the whole earth. Quite literally, this is their eye. And we'll look at this on a slide coming. But this ephah was like a big basket, right? A big measuring basket. It was the largest unit of measure that the Hebrews had. And it represents commerce, right? It, it was a representation of commerce. That's something they did in the markets, right? And so this represents commerce. Barron, who is a <clears throat> commentator on this, wrote a commentary on the book of Zechariah, pretty widely um, accepted. It's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but several of these, of course, aren't says this, if we ask ourselves, what was this new power or principle exercise, which exercised such a mighty formative influence over the Jewish people ever since the Babylonian captivity, and which is gradually bringing all the nations of the earth under its sway, the answer is trade or commerce, of which the ephah is the natural emblem. So, so far, we have this big old basket, right? And he sees this basket, but the basket has something on top of it. Do you remember what it was? It has a lead lid on top of it. Let's look at that in verse 6, <clears throat> 7, actually. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. So a big basket, I want you to get this visual picture, a big basket with a lead lid on top of it, and there is a woman sitting in the midst of it. Wow, this is getting pretty wild. Well, the talent was made of lead. It's the most common heavy metal, and it was used in commercial transactions for weighing out money. That's from Baron again. So you have a big basket with a lead lid on top, but as the lid is lifted up, what's inside? A woman. 
I mean, that's not what you expect to find in this measuring basket, right? Maybe grain, maybe, you know, wheat or meal or something. Not a woman. This is an interesting um, parable here or prophecy. And wait until you see where it's going. First of all, though, that the resemblance, uh, as it says, that is quite literally... um, Their resemblance is literally, this is their eye. So their eye is on commerce. Their eye is on what the dollar is doing or what the markets are doing. Okay, so that's the situation we have. But a woman in the middle of the economy, now woman is a symbol for what in the Bible? We have lots of Bible scholars here. The church, right? can be a pure church, it can be a wicked church. But the next verse says, this is wickedness. So we know what kind of church we have represented here. What business does a church have in the middle of commerce or in the middle of the economy? What, what church would even want to get in the middle of the economy? Well, there is a church that is in the middle of the economy And we've seen it so clearly in the last year or so. Some of this was written um, Laudato Si back in 2015 even. But I bring you these quotes about a wicked woman that is in the middle of the economy. And this is from Pope Francis. We seek to promote a different kind of economy, one that is inclusive and not exclusive, humane and not dehumanizing, one that cares for the environment and does not despoil it. This is from the economy of Francis, as it's called. Therefore, we commit to the following. Now, think about this a minute. What business does a church have telling all the leaders of the world how to run the economy? I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's basically spelled out for us here in the book of Zechariah. So this is the inclusive plan. Uh, join the right to say no campaign. Now that's inclusive. Okay, I get that. <laughs> Adapt strategies for product boycotts. This is a church saying all this. I don't know if it's striking you like it's striking me. Dive, uh, divest from corporations involved in environmental abuses. That sounds like wokeism to me, but doesn't sound inclusive to me. I don't know about you. Engage with schools of businesses proposing alternate economic models that support corporate social responsibility, ecological conversion, and climate justice. That sounds pretty good. But this is a church in the middle of the economy, and this is from his holiness, not my words. That's what he calls himself the economy of Pope Francis. I've invited you to make this covenant. The gravity of the present situation makes all the more evident by the, he uses the COVID pandemic, demands that a responsible stand be taken by all social actors. We need change. We want change. We seek change. Change is coming. Change is here. Every effort to organize, care, and improve our common home. That's... uh, Ledato uh, Si, care for our common home. <clears throat> if it be meaningful, we'll also demand a change in lifestyle models, in lifestyle, sorry, models of production and consumption. Now remember, this is a church telling the world how to run their government. 
and establish structures of power which today govern societies. Those need to change. Without this, you will accomplish nothing. We need to recover a sense of the common good. Going on, now faced as we are with global environmental deterioration, I wish to address every person living on this planet. Not the Catholic Church who is putting this forth. That's not big enough. Not the people of Italy where Rome is, you know, where they have their capital. No, no, no. Every person on the planet. Then his predecessor, Benedict, likewise proposed eliminating the structural causes of the dysfunctions of the world economy correcting models of growth which have proved incapable of ensuring respect for the environment. It's all about Mama Earth, isn't it? It's all about Mother Earth, the economy and Mother Earth. Now, I hope, I pray that you'll see the connections where this is going before we're done. There's quite a few quotes here. This, again, is from Laudato Si, the Pope's encyclical Um, care for our common home. The urgent challenge to protect our common home includes a concern to bring the whole human family together to seek a sustainable and integral development. Politics. Now, generally he's talking about laws put in place when he says this. Politics must pay greater attention to foreseeing new conflicts and addressing the causes which lead to them. Who stands in the way of that? Primarily, this is talking about the United States. (laughs) But powerful financial interests, that's us. There There are others in there too. Prove most resistant to this effort and political planning tends to lack breadth of vision. They need a visionary to lead them. You could guess who he would pick for that job. On many concrete questions, the church, now anytime the Pope talks about the church, it's the Catholic church. It's not, we talk sometimes in terms of the worldwide church. You know, there, there's the church, as my friends, the Sunday preachers say, the church of Battle Creek. They're including all the churches. That's not what he's talking about. The church, the Catholic church has no reason to offer definite opinions on some things. There should be deba- debate should be encouraged, etc. But we need to take only a frank look at the facts to see that our common home is falling into serious disrepair. Now, when he uses that but, and he says, well, you know, we should sometimes ask for opinions. He's saying not in this case, just the opposite. It's a contrasting conjunction. Now, this is very interesting, having to do with personal property. How many of you think you have the right to own property? Nobody? Okay, a few. <laughs> okay. What do they think? What does this new economic model think about you having the right to own property? This just blew me away. The principle of the subordination of private property to the universal destination of goods, i.e. communism, i.e. socialism, and thus the right of everyone to their use. So everyone has a right to use your property. I mean, sorry you've been paying for it for 30 years and you got it paid off or whatever. I mean, everybody's got a right to use your property. In fact, it's the golden rule of social conduct. 
The first principle of the whole ethical and social order. Wow. What's the golden rule? The principle of the subordination of private property, your property, which you paid for, you picked out, you paid for, the subordination of that to the universal destination of goods. The Christian tradition, now listen to this, I don't know which Christian tradition he's talking about, has never recognized the right to private, private property as absolute or invaluable. In other words, yeah, well, maybe it's yours now, but that's not forever. And has stressed the social purpose of all forms of private property. Those like my wife who have come from Yugoslavia know exactly where this is going. Or any of you that have come from a communist background or just any of you with your eyes open from the United States, you see what this is saying. You don't have the right to private property. Going on, interdependence obliges us to think of one world with a common plan, a global consensus. Oh, this is huge. A global consensus is essential for confronting the deeper problems which cannot be resolved by unilateral actions on the part of individual countries. This has got to go worldwide, and they need a leader. Enforceable international agreements are urgently needed. Where do you think that's going? Global regulatory norms are needed to impose obligations and prevent unacceptable actions. So this is going on and on about the, you know, governments need to change. Um, We need to basically have socialism and communism. You don't think he's going to get into religion really at all in this whole thing, right? Wrong. He gets into the Eucharist. He gets into Mary. By the way, Mary used to take care of Jesus, but now she's taking care of the earth. She's in charge of taking care of the earth. But this on Sunday, this is near the end of this series of quotes. On Sunday, our participation, this is from the same document that's talking about, you know, no private property, etc. Our participation in the Eucharist has special importance Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves and with others and with the world. By the way, I believe that about the Sabbath, the true Sabbath. It is meant to heal those things. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Sunday. A day to heal with ourselves, with others and with the world. The law of weekly rest forbade work on the seventh day. Does anyone see where that's going? (laughs) I think you do, right? He's applying this to Sunday. We need laws to keep people from doing anything on the Sunday. Well, a woman, a church, in the middle or taking over the worldwide economy And then the next verse says, this is wickedness, verse 8. And he said, this is wickedness. No doubt what we're talking about here. And so turn with me, and we're closing, getting towards the end. Um, I've got so much more to share. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because we want to see what the New Testament also says, because there is a parallel passage to this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. When you get there, say amen. Okay, I see a few pages turning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about this one that wants to be as God, sitting in the temple, thinking that he is God, right? And he's spoken of as the man of lawlessness, as the mystery of lawlessness spoken of here, and as the lawless one. Now this wickedness, this is wickedness from Zechariah chapter 5, could very well read, and it does in some translations, the wicked one. And here we have the wicked one spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul starts out by saying the second coming has not come. It won't come until the apostasia comes first. It's in verse 3, the falling away. And that man of sin or the man of lawlessness be revealed, the son of perdition. This is the little horn. This is the beast power who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. And he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. Something is withholding. There's a lead lid on this thing. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Verse 7. Only he who now letteth, or he who is withholding, will let or withhold until he is taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, same word in Zechariah 5, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, now this isn't Satan himself, because look at the next verse, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all powers and signs and lying wonders. That's the power that we're up against. This is a commentary, Gills, again, this is not from our church, says this about Zechariah 5. This woman and the woman in the basket is a very lively emblem of the whore of Rome, sitting as a queen upon many waters, particularly the wicked one, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Roman antichrist and apocalyptic beast, who, though he is called by his title, holiness, his true and proper name is wickedness. Not my words, the words of a commentator, Gill's commentary. Well, we see in chapters, in verses 9 through 11, we have now this church that is right in the middle of the economy, taking over the economy. We've seen how that plays out exactly today, but it's not done there. Because now this basket is carried off by two storks with wings. Now, the imagery here is just amazing. Go back to Zechariah chapter 5. As I say, as we close up, so much more to share from if you want to see parallel passages, Revelation 17, Revelation 18, you have the merchants of the earth that are all combined in this, drunk with the wine of her fornication. 
Revelation 17 and 18. And then, of course, there is where I think we will go to close, Genesis 10 and so forth, where the first world order was set up. But here in Zechariah, as we finish up, he lifts up his eyes. And now there comes two more women. The wind was in their wings. Now, wind is a symbol of strife. It's a symbol of holding back. Not here. The wind is in their wings. The wind's behind them. They got a tailwind going. And the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, unclean bird, and they lifted up the ephah between heaven and earth. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Then I said to the angel that was with me, where are they taking the ephah? And he said, to build it a house in the land of Shinar or Babylon. And there it shall be established and set upon its own base. So a one world religion is inside of what it wants to be a one world economy. And then it takes it to Babylon. We'll close in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. Go there. Genesis 10 and 11. There was a mighty hunter in those days. Actually, he was a mighty rebel. This has nothing to do with hunting. And his name was Nimrod. Chapter 10, verse 8, Cush begot Nimrod. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter, or some uh, commentators say, the Targum of Jonathan say, a powerful rebel. And he wanted a one-world order. You see it there in chapter 11. The whole earth was of one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Same land we're talking about. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime for mortar. And then verse 4 tells the story. It says this, And they said, Go, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach to the heavens and let us make us a name. Will it be the sweet name of Jesus or will it be making us a name? Lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. Now I would have said, lest the water come and diluge us again and and drown us. But that wasn't the point. Did you get the last part of this? lest we be scattered. That's what he didn't want to happen. He wanted the one world order to stay together. Uh, Just one quote on this, and this is from Gills also. And then we close here today. I'll bring some more next week, so come back. Let us make us a name which some render a sign and suppose it to be a signal set on the top of the tower, which served as a beacon, by the sight of which they might be preserved from straying in the open plains with their flocks, or return again when they had strayed. Others take it to be an idol, proposed to be set on the top of the tower. 
listen to this, you may have never seen this from this verse. And the Targums of Jonathan and Jerusalem intimate as if the tower was built for religious worship. Paraphrasing the words, let us build in the midst of it a temple of worship on the top of it. And let us put a sword into his, the idol's hands. Now listen to what Dr. Tennyson says about this before we close. And it is a conjecture of Dr. Tennyson in his book on idolatry that this tower was consecrated by the builders of it to the sun. Whew. Sun worship? Actually, after all, isn't the sun going to dry all this? Didn't it dry all this water out? Consecrated by the builders of it to the sun as the cause of drying up the waters of the deluge. And so a tower is built, a one world order, a one government. This is where the first one government was. And that's the symbol we have here of Babylon in the book of Zechariah. One economy, one church, one government. And that whole thing is wickedness. I hate to uh, (laughs) be the bearer of bad news, but that is what the direction we're heading. We know from also from Revelation, that this nation, which was founded upon freedoms like no other, will speak and is speaking as a dragon. The good news is Jesus is the true King of Kings. Amen? And so as bad as this picture may be, there's good news on the other side. It's like uh, uh, the Bible describes it like birth pains, right? Birth pains... Again, I can't speak firsthand, but those of you women can. Birth pains are, of course, very painful. But isn't the baby that comes out worth all the wait? Amen? And that's what we're looking for. We're in the time of birth pains right now, but very soon we will be delivered. And God has a rich plan for each one of us, but he wants us to know these things which are coming upon the earth, that he might give us strength to keep the faith of Jesus and the Ten Commandments. Let's close with prayer. Oh, Father, in times like these, we need you. In times like these, we need an anchor. And that anchor is right here in your word. It is your word. Oh, Lord, anchor our souls to your strength as we know that that will never fail. Lord, we see the things that are coming upon the earth, the things that are coming Uh, just as this church has taught for 150 years. And it's amazing to see it come to pass just as you predicted it, with some maybe things that we didn't see coming, but the major uh, portions are exactly as you said it in your Holy Bible. And so thank you, Lord. Keep us in the palm of your hand. Now is the time to reach out to others and to tell them about the lovely Jesus It's great to know about the Antichrist, but if we don't know about Jesus Christ, we could be lost. So please, Lord, make us conduits of your love, catalysts of your message, Lord, that it might go to the whole world and soon, Lord, because you have waited too long. Oh yes, we don't like all that we're going through and seeing this earth waxing old and seeing ourselves waxing old and seeing sin abounding. But Lord, very soon, 
an end will come to that. And what we see is just a little part of what you see. So please, Lord, come soon, not just for our sake, but for yours, that the pain in your dear heart might be put to end and you might receive your bride who has made herself ready. We thank you for it, for blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.